You know, when things seem impossible, the skeptics are never satisfied. When Mr. Fulton was ready to unleash his new invention, the steamboat, skeptics were crowded at the riverbanks and they were yelling these words, It'll never start. It'll never work. But it did. And as it slowly began to chug down the river, they began to shout, It will never stop. It will never work. And it did. There seems to be something inside of us that struggles to hear and to tolerate and to believe things that seem impossible. Have you ever been to one of those Ripley's Believe It or Nots? When our boys were younger, that was one of uh, the things they really liked to do, be it in Gatlinburg or Panama, wherever we were. If there was a Ripley's Believe It or Not, especially Andy, he really wanted to go, and that was one of the things that we kind of ventured through. If you've never been, it's a little bit unnerving. Some of the stuff is definitely unbelievable. Some of it's kind of creepy. And then there's just some that just kind of lands there. You know, there's a lot of information in this book that seems at times a little bit unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever been through one of those stories, but it's it's like once it happens, once God appears, once things kind of come together, you shake your head and go, whew, man, that's kind of tough to swallow. I want to take you through one of those pieces of scripture today. It's found in Exodus chapter 14. We just heard it and almost heard it again. But this piece of scripture talks about a time when things were a little bit out of sorts with God's people. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Israelites, God's people at that time, were enslaved in Egypt. And Moses had been directed by God to get his people out of Dodge, if you will. And he went to the people and he shared the information and they were good to go and off they went. And they were happy and they could feel and taste freedom for the first time in their lives. And they were out of Pharaoh's control. And everything was going well. I mean, well, everything was way good. There was a pillar, a cloud that led them during the daytime just follow the cloud at nighttime just follow the pillar of fire that's all you have to do and God will take care of you and things were going well and they were on their first road trip ever until they came to the Red Sea and they made camp there and they settled there and I don't know how they felt though but there was some scouts some guards out and they saw that Pharaoh's army was coming. You see, Pharaoh and his leaders got together and they thought, this is not a good thing. Now we're going to have to work harder. And we're going to have to do all the things that these people were doing. I'm not sure how our people out there are going to react to this. So they changed their mind and instead of letting God's people go, they decided to go get them. 600 chariots. That sounds like a lot to me, doesn't it to you? And I don't know how they knew it was the army. Maybe they saw the huge 
dust cloud that was coming. Or maybe they got word from the city or maybe they could even hear the army coming. Have you ever been close to something when the ground was shaking? I have some friends here who love the horses and sometimes the horses as they run by can shake the ground. Those of you who love football and have been close to the field or on the field, you know there are times when it seems like the ground is literally shaking as people run after a little ball. So I don't know how they landed here, but they did. And if you have your Bibles with you, Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 31. The Israelites, they weren't dumb. They knew they had the Red Sea behind them and they knew they had two options, either to fight in battle and die because they weren't warriors or to swim across the lake and hope for the best. It seems like they had painted themselves into a corner. And you know, God had them right where he wanted them. Because he wanted them to learn to trust him. So today I want to take a few minutes and analyze how we deal with situations that seem impossible. I mean hard situations. Situations when life hurts. Because I think we all have our Red Sea experiences in life. And maybe I have some who are going through some of that today I have a friend downtown this morning in Welburn's select rehab hospital a few weeks ago about three he went in for blood pressure issues and had some heart issues had a small issue heart attack at the hospital and they did some tests and decided it was time to do bypass surgery So in the matter of days, instead of coming home, he stayed there and did surgery, and it's been a good week or so, and now he's in a rehab unit trying to get his strength back and get better. He's at his Red Sea. Things seem hard, and they are hard. Things seem a little bit impossible right now. Have you ever been there? For some, it's when a marriage is breaking up. We just went through a series on the family, and for some, it's when a marriage has come to a screeching halt. When it seems like there are no answers, there's nowhere to turn, it's one of those Red Sea moments. For some who have worked long and hard, it's when their company downsizes, or for whatever reason, they decide to let you go. And you find yourself in a financial hard place with no answers and no possibilities. I had a friend I was having breakfast with yesterday at our men's breakfast. And I knew the last time we had met last month, he told me that he was looking for work. And I asked him how things were going. And he said, nothing, nothing yet. Red Sea scenario. When things seem hopeless, almost impossible, 
where do we go from here? Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's when your body doesn't do things that it once did. Maybe those are the kind of experiences that kind of take the breath away from us. So today, if I could, from this piece of Scripture, I would like to share with you five things to remember, five principles to practice when we are at a Red Sea experience. And the first is this. When you are faced with an impossible situation, the first thing to do is to recognize God's purpose for your problem. You see, the Israelites in Exodus 31 had a real issue. Pharaoh wanted them to go back. They didn't want to go. It was going to be a difficult scenario. So two things that God accomplished in this early task. and The first is found in verse 4, where we are told that he wants to make his glory known to others. Verse 4 says, But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. You know, God had just brought them out of captivity, and you would have thought they would have had some focus. And then as soon as they have a difficulty in their life, they begin to panic. They wanted to run. They didn't want to fight. They thought that they might have to fight, but they knew they needed something. So the Bible tells us that they begin to complain, to whine to Moses. Does that ever happen to you when things aren't going well? You begin to whine and complain and grumble. Years ago, I had a group going to a CIY conference, and I knew ahead of time that our dormitory did not have air conditioning. I mean, I knew going in, and I knew that was going to be a hard sell for our kiddos. City kids going to spend a week on a college campus with no air conditioning. This was back in the day when the girls had big hair. Remember those days? I mean, they had that stuff going up here, and it took like seven cans of hairspray to get it just right. We were almost at the campus, and I started passing out these shirts. On the back, it said, quit whining. On the front, it said, First Christian Church, Evansville, Indiana. Started passing these shirts out. I told the kids, hey, get ready for a great week of camp here. However, the deal is, we will not have air conditioning. We are in Missouri. It's almost 2,000 degrees outside this bus. But don't wear the shirt if you're not going to practice the message. Man, I had youth ministers coming up to me from all over the place saying, hey, man, those shirts are pretty cool. What's, what's it mean? I said, will your kids ever whine when there's things amok? He goes, yeah, all the time. Well, mine do too, but not this week. We took a vow together not to complain. And the heat. Didn't say anything about the food. Just the heat. Every now and then I'll come across my old quit whining t-shirt and I'll put it on or hand it to Debbie just so we can continue down a... have you ever been there? has I, life ever been hard for you? you know as I look out to my friends this morning I, I know more about you guys than I probably should and I know a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning when life has been hard hard to understand during these times 
God wants to make his glory known to you so that others can see his glory in you. He also wants you to learn to trust him more during these hard times. In fact, verse 31 says, And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. Have you ever been in one of those times and life was kind of crumbling in on you and you, you just knew you had to trust God, but you just couldn't let yourself do it? About 15 years ago, Matt was getting ready to go to uh, play basketball overseas, and we were going up to see him. I was feeling pretty crummy for quite a while. In fact, Andy was going to drive. I was going to lay down in the back seat. I always drive. I'd rather drive than sit, but I was just feeling kind of crummy. To make a long story short, I wake up on Sunday morning, can hardly get up, and told Debbie I got to go get a shot of something so I can preach and wasn't feeling good she drove me to Deaconess Hospital I make my way to the emergency room and I get to those wheelchairs they're just all like lined up there that's kind of scary isn't it I just like flop down in one and I had a friend at the Y he was a big strong African American and he came and picked me up and he said what's wrong with you I said man I don't know and he like carried me into the emergency room and they put me on this bed thing. And when I came to, they told me that my blood sugar was 1,400. I'm like, so? They said, you should be dead. I said, oh. Normal rate is between 80 and 120. Are you with me? The first meal they brought to me in the ICU unit, it was cruddy stuff. I mean, no sugar added. And then there, the, the, the devotional thought for the day. I'll never forget this. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I hate to say this. I wadded that sucker up and I chucked it across the room. I wasn't ready for that action. Trust God when things aren't quite what they ought to be. I mean, that's what... God wants to do when you're at a Red Sea experience. Trust him so he can make his glory known to you and to others. So he wants to glorify himself during these Red Sea experiences, and he also wants to strengthen the bond that he has with you. He wants you to get closer and trust him. You can come through the ordeal with stronger faith if you've understood his purpose for your life and that is to glorify himself and to teach you to trust him more the second thing that i think people need to understand if they're in a red sea experience is that we need to retain god's perspective on the situation the big picture i love the story of a little guy who was in first grade and at lunchtime he began to walk out of the lunchroom out of the school and he was making his way home and his teacher followed him and caught him right at the end of the block and said hey Billy where are you going he goes I'm going home I'm done today and she said no you're in first grade now you go to school all day long 
And he starts to tear up these big crocodile tears. And he said, who signed me up for that? The big picture, sometimes it's hard for us to lose sight of the big picture. What's God really doing in my life, in my marriage, in my ministry, in my workplace? Sometimes when we're facing our Red Sea, it's hard to step back and look at the big picture. When the Israelites, when they looked up and they saw and they heard that the Egyptian army was coming, they began to panic. They said in verse 11, they said this to Moses, their leader, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the desert to die? They were being sarcastic. They were beginning to grumble and complain and whine. It's amazing that that would be their attitude considering that they had witnessed the power of God in Egypt and they had already forgotten. Verse 12 says, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And I think, I can't prove this, I think this is where the word seriously first came from. I told you I've tried to quit saying that word, but I can't. And Moses, I can almost hear him saying, seriously? Have you guys forgotten already that we serve and love a great God? I mean, really. Get over yourself and get with the program and let's get going. The Egyptians did not want to kill the Israelites. They wanted to bring them back home to work. Moses, if there had been a vote taken that day, they would have voted him off the island because it just didn't seem very good. And you know, we have a tendency to lose God's perspective when we're in that hard situation too, when we sit down with that doctor and he says, well, here's what I think's going on. Most of the time, when situations seem impossible, we would rather have an escape clause, wouldn't we? A way out. We don't want to face a Red Sea. They didn't want to face Pharaoh's army and They thought if they just went back to Egypt, they could work for the rest of their lives. It wasn't that big a deal. But God never wants us to settle for second best. I have a staff member here who says, I will never ever hear him say that something is just good enough. We'll never hear him say that. And I like that attitude, don't you? Because nothing that we do, especially for God, should be just good enough. Should be much, much more than that. But we have a tendency when the pressure is on to lose our perspective and to panic and to want to turn and run and cry. God doesn't want us to settle for second best ever. He doesn't want us to run from his crisis. He wants to help you and me Meet it with courage and conviction head on. You know the Bible tells us in this passage that the Lord God would fight for his people? I mean, that's huge. You're not going to have to do this on your own, face this on your own. I'm going to fight for you. Didn't say with you, he said for you. Isn't that something to hang on to? Have you ever been in a little scuffle with someone? 
when I was in high school freshman year. Our school did not have wrestling, but we had a gym teacher that thought we ought to know the principles of wrestling. It wasn't basketball season or baseball season, so I was in PE. Did not like it, but I was there. I even played golf in high school so I wouldn't have to go to PE. Coach Delashman, my baseball coach, he could never put his arms down to his side because he had Popeye arms. I mean, just muscles. And he walked like this all the time. They roll the mat out. He takes two of the roughest Fonzie-like characters in our school and puts them on a team, and then he puts me and him on a team. This is not going to end well. I'm just a little bit of something, and they're big and scary somethings. So I start out on the mat with this other guy, and he blows a whistle, and I kind of flail around on the floor like a bug being scalded by a skillet. And then all of a sudden, he tags my hand. He tags in. And he spends the next 20 minutes beating these guys up. And then after it's over, he comes up and raises my arm with his. I didn't fight. He fought for me. And I thank God every day for that. That man. God said he would fight the battle for them. And that's exactly what he did. When things seemed hopeless, out of control, he just hung in there and the Israelites did what Moses said and it was a good, good thing. In 1957, there was a guy by the name of Homer Hickman. He grew up in West Virginia in a coal mining town. In that town, young men didn't have too many options, so when they got to a certain age after they left school, they went to the mines. That was the deal. If they didn't get a scholarship from football, they ended up in the mines. Homer wasn't athletic, but he loved science, and he had a passion for building rockets. He and some friends began conducting experiments trying to build and develop a rocket that would actually fly, and they went to the state science fair, and he was offered, because of his project, a college scholarship. His senior year, his dad got sick, and had to leave the mine, so Homer's dream began to fall apart. And he went to work at the mine because that's what his dad expected, that's what his mom expected, that's what his family expected, that's what his principal expected, that's what his friends expected. And he went to work at the mine, but he says when his dad got better and came back to the mines, he left the mines and used his scholarship to go to college He entered and won the state science fair again and he took his exhibit to the World's Fair in Indianapolis and again he was offered a full scholarship. Today Homer Hickman works for NASA building, guess what? Rockets. There was a time when I'm sure it seemed hopeless for him and he was ready to go back to Egypt, if you will. He was at a Red Sea, the mines, And if you're facing that type of situation today in your life, some way, shape, or form, I encourage you not to quit, not to give up, not to surrender, but trust 
God. The third thing to remember when you face a Red Sea situation is to rely on God's promises. A motivational speaker asked his audience this question, if your success was guaranteed, would you be willing to endure anything for a short period of time knowing that you were going to be successful? How would you respond to that? I would. I would dig the ditch and dig it long and deep and knowing that a day was coming when that was going to be over and I was going to be successful. Listen to the words of Moses in verses 13 and 14. Do not be afraid. You know, things are looking bad. Red Sea scenario. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. He only needs you to be still. His promises, right out of the text, he promises that the problem would be completely eradicated, taken care of that day. Don't you like that? Our washing machine started making funky noises, and it's still making some noises. Well, my idea is, let's shoot it, put it out of its misery. It is older. It came over on the ark. Let's let it go. Called up the repairman. I got him scheduled for Saturday. It's going to cost, I think, about as much to repair this old unit as it would be to buy a new one. So my thoughts are what? Let it go. Let's get a new one. And we went and looked yesterday late evening once we found out what was going on. And tomorrow, Debbie is going to look at consumer reports and get all the data. I'm ready just to let it go today. Take care of the problem. Because I know that more laundry is coming tomorrow and the next day and the next. Let's let it go. They were promised that the problem would be taken care of and taken care of quickly. Wouldn't it be great to hear? Your marriage back together tomorrow. What the doctor has told you, taken care of tomorrow. I have a friend over here who's recovering from back surgery. I had a little back issue a few years ago. and won't tell you how it happened or what I was doing, but it was unusual. Ruptured disc in the hospital for five days just on pain medication. And then after about six weeks, went back to the doctor And he said, things are looking good. Man, I think I can let you go. No surgery is necessary. And I said, and he was a nice man. I said, I hope I never see you again. But thanks for your help. Took me six weeks to get there. It takes some time to get there. But once you get there, you never forget the pain. Isn't that right? You never forget those difficulties. But if we could take care of it quickly, he says... The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. When we're facing a difficulty, we have a tendency to put a Band-Aid on it or to sweep it under the rug. God promises to remove the issue for once and for all. Isn't that a great thing? I don't care what you're dealing with today. God has a way to work you through it. He may not take the pain away or the difficulty away, but he promises to work you through the difficulty. He also promises to fight for us. Without his help, the Israelites didn't have a chance. And I got to say, neither do we. If you try to handle your situation or your family all by yourself, chances are you're going to fail. You need the help of God. 
to get to the other side of your Red Sea, you really need to learn to rely on his promises. The word rely, once again, means do not be afraid, he says in this piece. And that phrase is used 50 times in the text. Not this specific text, but in the Bible as a whole. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How many times when you were a kid did your parents say that to you? Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. How many times have you said that to your spouse? Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. How many times have your kids said that to you? Don't be afraid. It's going to be a-okay. Moses also said, stand firm. In other words, when you're going through a tough time, don't compromise your integrity. Don't give up, don't run, don't hide. Face it head on. And then he says one more thing, and I hate this thing. He says, be still. I'm not wired that way. Be still. Years in children's church, I would go up there and I'd say, okay, we're going to be quiet to get things started today, so let's just sit quietly just for a few minutes. You know how long that worked? For about a few seconds. Be still means, gosh, do not do nothing. Anybody here wired that way? I am when there's a ball game on, I can do nothing. Debbie can come home and say, what did you do today? I can say, I did nothing. She's not wired that way. She's got to be doing four or five things at once, and I'm okay with just doing nothing. The Bible says, stand firm. He says, don't be afraid and be still. The peace of God has a hard time hitting a moving target. And when we're going through a tough time, don't we just kind of lose it sometimes? We just kind of bum, 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 and just bounce around everywhere. Be still, stand firm. Don't be afraid. Rely on God's promises. He promises to see you through the situation. Another thing, rest in God's protection. When the Israelites began their journey, they were led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. When they arrived at the Red Sea, when Pharaoh's army came, the cloud left them. You can read it for yourself. The cloud went behind them and confused or fogged out the Egyptian army. I know what they thought when the cloud was leaving. Oh my gosh, we're done for. God's finally going to have his way and we're done. The cloud's going. Verse 20, through the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Verse 19 says, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel withdrew and went behind them. They thought they were sunk, but God was using that angel to protect them from the army. And regardless of how difficulty and how hard your situation is right now, understand this, that God is still in love with you and he still wants to protect you all the days of your life. So just let him be God. One more thing needs to be said and then we're done this morning. We need to, when we're going through a tough time, reach for God's power. This has to do with prayer and walking by faith and we'll talk about that next week, I promise. Moses in verse 16, raise your hand and stretch your hand out over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can go through on dry land. I mean, you talk about Ripley's, believe it or not. He hits the water and the water parts. And you know what the next dilemma was? Who's going first? 
Who's going first? I've never seen this before. And I can just hear the parents. Kids, go and don't touch anything. Just don't touch that fit. Just let it go. We were in Florida. My mom and dad were down there for a month at close to the Keys, and we went down to Marathon, Florida to be with them, and our whole family was down there, and we went snorkeling one day, went out on this catamaran thing, and the waves were big, and guys weren't going to jump. My little nephew's not going to go. My kids, they said, Uncle Jerry, go first. Okay, so off I went. About drowned, but off I went. Another thing that we did there, my youngest son always, has always had a special heart for dolphins. And there was a uh, marina down there, kind of an experimental place that lets you actually swim with the dolphins. They would do tricks, and I, I felt like I was that little guy on Flipper. Remember that show? And, and you know, dolphins would do tricks, and they would jump over. But, and I always thought, you know, maybe one of these dolphins is the dumb one and doesn't know that we're humanoids and that we break easily. They wouldn't get in the water until, Uncle G, can you go first? Okay, off I went. It was okay, and we survived it. But I don't like going first in scary things. Do you? These waters parted, and somebody had to go first, and off they went. And God told Moses, you hold my power in your hand. If you're willing to reach, you will again witness a miracle. Anybody here believe in miracles? I do. I've been around God for a long time, and I still get goosebumps when I see him do his thing, when I see him bring himself to the sea. And he constantly does miracles in the lives of his family. Throughout Scripture, we are told that God's power is available to you and me and we'll talk about that next week getting to the other side of your red sea will require you to reach and stretch to be a person of god who is involved in prayer and walking by faith god promises to bless those who pray and walk by faith you know years later when joshua was leading the israelites that same group of people to the promised land The Bible said they came to the Jordan River, which was in flood stage. When I was in Israel, the Jordan River reminded me of Pigeon Creek, I got to tell you. Not too impressive. Have you ever seen Pigeon Creek in flood stage? Pretty stinking impressive, right? The Jordan River is impressive. The Bible says that Joshua, again, the waters wall up. But it wasn't until the leadership put their feet in the water that the waters walled up and then they crossed to the other side i don't know what you're going through right now but the experts say one out of every four people at any given time is going through some type of issue if you look on the people beside you and they look pretty okay it's probably you that's going through the issue Understand that God promises to help you with your issue. He does specialize in things thought impossible. Let me close with this today. Last week we closed by swearing in church. Did you catch that? I will do my best to make my home a better place. That We were swearing right here in church. Today I have a riddle for you. What is 750,000 miles long? 
reaches around the planet Earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer each day. That's how many people exist today that don't know Jesus. That's a lot of people. And our God specializes in the impossible. And wouldn't that be great news to share with with someone? My God loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. His son gave it up for you. All I want you to do is to accept him as Lord and Savior. And I know there are some here today who need to make that decision. Some have already made that decision, but they just need a church home. This is your time. Your time to respond as we stand, as we sing.